Hi, welcome to Positively Positive. If you're new here, I go by Sam and I have genital herpes HSV2. Today we're talking about the big bad wolf of herpes. The biggest reason we are so devastated when we get diagnosed, the stigma. I'm gonna cover what stigma itself is, where the herpes stigma originally came from, which is truly a wild ride, <laughs> how it persists in today's culture, and how we can take our power back and render this stigma ultimately powerless over us. I understand things much better when I understand the root of an issue, not all the branches and leaves and debris caused by an issue, the root. Now, this topic is a behemoth, and I spent way more hours than I wanted to looking into all this, went slightly insane, so strap in. Let's get to the root, let's talk about herpes, baby. First off, let's define the word stigma itself. When you Google the word, you get this definition, a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. If you dig a little deeper, you get definitions such as a mark of shame or discredit, a mark of disgrace or dishonor, and my personal favorite, which is from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary for English Language Learners, where they give the simplest definition so anyone can understand, stigma, a set of negative and often unfair beliefs that a society or group of people have about something. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, it is unfair. It's a stupid virus that almost everyone has. And you're right, it is unfair. But life isn't fair, so let's get over the pity party and deal with this. Because even though those definitions hit me right in the gut with the words shame, disgrace, and dishonor, I do know from my own experiences and my own conversations with real people, they still see my good qualities, most still see who I am as a person, the stigma is only as powerful as I let it be. You know that I am all about us taking control over our own minds, and that's something I firmly believe we can all do. But before I was able to take control of this, I had to understand it first. I think this might come across in my other episodes, I'm not sure, but I'm just gonna tell you right now. I'm a skeptical person. I don't trust or believe a large majority of what is said to me from most people. And I just need to know things for myself. I need to figure out complicated issues and see the proof. I like facts. So when I was first diagnosed and people said to me, oh, it's not a big deal, the stigma is overrated, it's blown out of proportion. I needed to know why. I needed to know how. Was that true or was that not true? So I'm just going to give you my own definition of what the herpes-specific stigma is to those of us who have dealt with or are currently dealing with diagnosis. The herpes stigma is absolutely pointless waste man trash. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. That's not my real definition. The real one is... The herpes stigma is the negative thoughts we have about ourselves and the fear of what other people will think about us. So how do we combat that negativity and that fear? Well, knowledge dismantles fear. Let's get knowledgeified then. So where did the stigma originally come from? There are a few theories and one is that it came from pharmaceutical companies trying to sell antivirals. If they create mass fear and prejudice through advertising, no one will want herpes, obviously, and everyone will buy their drugs. This is not exactly what happened. Let's get a timeline here. It's 1967, and scientists discover HSV-2, which is the same herpes virus everyone knew about before, but it's a little stronger now and has minor genetic differences, and it's adapted this way to infect people who already carry HSV-1. Alrighty, now there's two types of HSV. Still pretty harmless for the vast majority of carriers. For those who do experience regular symptoms or even severe symptoms, at this time, there is no treatment. There are no antiviral medications for HSV, no drug companies advertising such a thing. This is an important point to keep in mind. It's now 1973, and while there have been articles written about herpes, they've all been pretty chill, just letting people know it's out here with us. And then Time Magazine comes along with an article with no byline, meaning whoever wrote it remains anonymous to this day, titled Medicine, The Case Against Herpes. Let me read you some excerpts from this genius article, and there are a lot of just really golden ones, so bear with me here, and let's sort through this insanity together, shall we? Quote number one. 
A variation of herpes simplex that produces genital infections may also be linked with cervical cancer. We know this is point blank not true, and I won't fault them for not having the accurate scientific information as it wasn't discovered yet. But we know now that it's certain strains of HPV that can lead to cancer, not either type of herpes simplex. Outdated medical info, fine, what's next? Quote number two. The two types of herpes simplex generally attack different and sharply defined areas of the body. Again, not true or accurate, outdated and false medical information. We know that both types of herpes can affect any area of the body, and it lives in nerve ganglia in specific parts of the body. Take my HSV, for example. It lives in the nerve ganglia at the base of my spine. From there, it can affect any area of my body that those nerves are connected to, which is my genitals, butt, and back of legs. I wouldn't call that a sharply defined area. There's a really cool map of the human body that shows this clearly on projectaccept.org that I encourage you to check out. It shows where your HSV can live and which parts of the body that spot is connected to through nerves. Go listen to my very first episode if you want more on how the virus works. Back to this article. Oh boy. Quote number three, promiscuous. That's it. That's the whole sentence. No segue, no follow-up, just a one-word sentence of promiscuous. Helpful. Quote number four. (laughs) Unlike the basic herpes simplex, which strikes indiscriminately, type two appears to exercise moral judgment, tending to afflict primarily the sexually promiscuous. It is prevalent amongst teenagers and young adults and among prostitutes. (sighs) Okay, let me tell you one thing about herpes. It does not discriminate. Type one or type two, they both want us all, baby. You a human? Yeah, HSV wants you. The sexually promiscuous? Okay, author, you're sounding a little bitter here, to be honest. And I personally know people who got genital HSV the very first time they had sex. I also know people who contracted genital herpes through foreplay and no actual penetrative sex. So this statement is not only judgmental, close-minded, and uninformed, it's straight up false. You can get HSV at any age with or without sex. Quote number five. Unfortunately for the promiscuous, there is often no clinical evidence that a sexual partner is carrying the virus. Okay. (laughs) At this point, I'm starting to think the author just discovered the word promiscuous and is really proud to be using it in a sentence. While we know it's true, 80% of carriers are asymptomatic and there's no evidence, clinical or otherwise, Unless they've been accurately tested, which most people haven't, the author isn't making sense here. So the partner that is unknowingly carrying the virus is fine, but you're the promiscuous one for sleeping with them. Wait, what? Unfortunately for the promiscuous. Okay. Bruh, I'm sorry someone hurt you and you feel the need to label people's sexuality in a condescending way. Honestly, to me it sounds like an incel wrote this article. God, I am glad I was not alive in 1973. I mean, I know this was said to be the area, the era of the sexual liberation and revolution, but damn, did they have a long way to come, and we still have a long way to go. That's why I'm here. Quote number six, ominous. Again, a one-word sentence with no relevant surrounding sentences or context. Journalism at its finest, my friends! Okay, (laughs) quote number seven. Type 2 virus particles have been found to transform normal animal cells into cancerous ones in test tubes, and the discovery has raised speculation that the type 2 herpes may be linked to genital cancers in humans. Ugh, okay again. It's just outdated medical information that we know now is inaccurate, but it scared people at the time. HSV does not lead to cancer cells. HPV does. Now, that being said, it may be seen as irresponsible of me to not mention that when someone does have HSV and has experienced outbreaks, the skin where the outbreak occurred is more susceptible to other infections as it has already been weakened. Now, please do not stress about this, okay? 
unless you're immunocompromised, which most of us aren't, and if you are, I'm sure you have a team behind you and you know how to handle that, you can relax and have a safe and enjoyable sex life. Communicate with your partners, see their results, and choose whatever protection or lack thereof that you're comfortable with. Also, there's an HPV vaccine now that is widely given out in schools. And if you didn't get it in school, you can get it from Merck, the company that makes Gardasil, the HPV vaccine, for free if you're under a certain tax bracket. They started giving out the HPV vaccine in school right after me, so I didn't get it, um, but I did get it in my early 20s when I learned about it. If you're over 25 and you've been sexually active, you've already been exposed to HPV anyways. It's mostly harmless, and as long as women get pap tests regularly, it can be caught and dealt with right away. There was no test for men. I know one guy who said a few of his female partners had experienced bumps or warts after being with him, so he suspected he was an HPV carrier. Like HSV, it's extremely common and it's just part of being human. My last quote from this article is number eight. It's like finding a guy with a gun in a building where a murder has been committed. The gunman is suspect, but you have to prove that he pulled the trigger. Apparently, this is a quote from scientists named Alvin Glasky from Newport Pharmaceuticals, but why include it in this article? It's comparing herpes to murder now? It's so insane and plants horrible imagery and fear into the reader. Christ almighty, fear-mongering at its finest, baby. So that article was kind of the launch pad for what was to become one of the most melodramatic hysterias in human health. I mean, it's Time Magazine. That's a reputable source, right? Not always. Nothing is ever 100%. And as your boy in the States like to say, a lot of stuff out there is fake news. But Time had a few years to gather up some facts and come back at us in 1980 with a better informed article giving much more accurate details of how the virus behaved. But it also called carriers victims multiple times throughout, titled the article Herpes, the New Sexual Leprosy, and opened with the following line. Viruses of love infect millions with disease and despair. Well, for the love of God, it wouldn't if you stopped giving it that power and using such damning language. It describes one victim as having succumbed to the temptation of a local lady while traveling. I have a lot of issues with that statement, Mainly being that it implies you shouldn't sleep with people in other countries, which is just wild, because I highly recommend that. <laughs> um, but it also implies that it was the woman's fault. Like, ooh, this foreign mistress seduced him, and it's all her fault. How could one ever say no to such a siren? Ugh, what the actual fuck? Two grown-ass adults had sex of their own volition, and herpes was transmitted. End of story. It says that Americans feel herpes is the new leprosy, but doesn't quote an actual person saying that, which makes me think there's a possibility it's journalistic embellishment. The article has a bunch of other weird judgmental subtext, and honestly, I'm getting bored of reading it, so I'm just going to pick out some doozies here. One obvious way to control the disease is abstinence from sex, or at the very least, a high degree of sexual selectivity. Well. Wrong again, Time Magazine. Penetrative sex does not need to happen in order for genital herpes to spread. Skin-to-skin -skin contact, which means cuddling, foreplay, or any myriad of other activities that don't involve actual sex. And the second part of that quote? A high degree of sexual selectivity? Oh, give me a break. I am selective with who I sleep with, and I was stoked as hell to sleep with the person who gave me herpes. I didn't know they had herpes, and I would have liked to, but I was being selective when I slept with him, and that didn't matter, because we didn't know he was a carrier, so being selective had nothing to do with it. Last quote from this article. It affects performance on the job, disrupts personal relationships, and in not a few cases has resulted in cancellations of weddings, blah blah blah. It also makes the victim something of a pariah. Okay. Did I call in sick when I experienced my primary outbreak? Yeah, but in the grand scheme of my life, a few shifts did not affect the overall performance of my job. I've taken a day off for much less. No one died. It results in wedding cancellations? Oh, come on, for fuck's sake. 
again, doesn't give a specific example with any real people. And if the herpes revelation didn't come until just before your wedding, your relationship has way bigger problems than a dormant virus. Maybe work on your communication, trust, and empathy before you get engaged? Just saying. It makes the victim something of a pariah. Ugh, get the fuck out of here. This article and media coverage like this makes people feel like they're pariahs. Language matters. And this language was damning. And it seeped into the subconscious of millions and millions of North Americans and everyone else who read sensationalized articles about herpes. The LA Times contributed to the language when it released an article two years prior in 1978 titled Venereal Disease of New Morality, Sexual Sore Spot That's Spreading. What I see when I read that headline is a journalist using shame and fear to get readers intrigued. Damn, y'all really out here mad about sex? Morality this, morality this. Jesus, can we stop using shame to control and manipulate people? Okay, my last issue, literally, with Time Magazine comes from the 1982 cover story. The actual article is titled, The New Scarlet Letter, and the cover bears only the words, Today's Scarlet Letter, on the side, and then in huge red letters that make the cover look like a horror film poster, it says, Herpes, and has a picture of a couple gazing skeptically at each other in the bottom corner. Most of the cover is just the huge red word, herpes. Now, the article itself does have updated medical information, but it still refers to carriers as victims and herpetics. It chooses to highlight quotes and stories from prostitutes and other people who spread the virus knowingly out of anger and revenge. The article fuels stigma and uses language that permeates our subconscious with negative imagery. That subconscious programming is how a stigma is started. Whether we choose to admit it or not, language, advertising, and everything we read and see permeates the deepest corners of our minds and affects us in ways we may not realize until much later in life, if ever. Marketing and persuasion in the media are no joke or coincidence, and they're huge tools for influencing mass thought processes and cultural impact. Now. Did these authors of these articles set out to create a mass stigma that would last for decades to come? I doubt it. I think they just wanted a flashy cover and a notable article to their name, and they know what sparks intrigue, outrage, and interest. They know how to write an interesting article. They know how to leverage their words to create an interesting story. It's not rocket science. Now. I think it would be negligent to say that all the bad feelings we have surrounding our herpes diagnosis stems from articles like this. The articles had to have some ground to stand on to even start in the first place. Getting diagnosed with herpes sucks. That's a fact, and I don't think anyone fabricated that feeling. But you know what else sucks? Getting diagnosed with any chronic disease or any chronic condition. You know what really sucked for me? Getting glasses. <laughs> My vision is terrible, but I wear glasses and contacts and I'm fine with it. And other than that one boy in fourth grade who went, oh no. Every time I put my glasses on to read the board, no one else made me feel bad about having shitty vision. I have scoliosis and literally no one cares. My physiotherapist doesn't make me feel bad for having a slightly crooked spine. When I mention it in conversation, no one looks at me any differently. No one can see it unless I point it out and make them stare at my waist. No articles were written about how this ostracizes me from society. I have kind of a bunion on one foot, and sometimes I hate the way it looks in certain shoes, and sometimes it hurts, <laughs> but there's no hysteria surrounding it, and no one calls me a victim. Okay. So now that I've made it very clear that I'm the love child of Shrek and the fucking hunchback of Notre Dame, I'd like to note that I do get down on myself about each one of these things sometimes. But the feelings are coming from inside, not from external sources. And once I get over my bad feelings about it, nothing else is there to make me feel bad about it. There's a difference with herpes. With herpes, there's all those shitty internal feelings that are completely normal and valid. 
But when the internal feelings pass, as they do with most conditions as we learn to live with them, we now have to face this huge public perception. And that is an external source we can't control. These articles fueled that external power, that thing we call a stigma. They took the initial feelings of diagnosis and blew it up to sell a story, which makes moving on from the internal feelings extremely difficult. Add on that it has to do with sexuality, and there's 10 more layers of shame and judgment to exploit. The phrase sex sells doesn't just refer to getting a hot chick with big boobs in a movie to sell tickets. Anything written about sex will attract attention. We all know what else sells, negativity and fear. I don't need to prove that. Turn on any news outlet right now and you see negativity and fear in almost every single headline. Add all these together, sex, fear, and negativity. Baby, oh my God, we have the trifecta of a news story. It's actually kind of genius. It's like a mathematical equation for journalistic success. And it worked on TV too. Reporters heard one dramatic quote from someone newly diagnosed or living with a bad case of herpes and ran with it. If you listen to my other episodes, you know that 80% of herpes carriers are asymptomatic. That leaves 20% that have ever experienced symptoms. The majority of those people had a bad primary outbreak and mild recurrences over the years. So one extreme quote from an extreme case of herpes does not represent the majority. If I had been interviewed in the first few weeks of diagnosis, I sure as hell would have had some amazing clickbait quotes that would sell a story. Local woman destroyed by herpes diagnosis. One woman convinced diagnosis means she will never have sex again. Strong, independent woman reduced to hysterical, emotional mess with no support system, facing lifelong diagnosis with no cure. Contagious freak resigns to bedroom for life. Ice queen melts into helpless, diseased peasant. Okay. That last one might not have made the cover of BuzzFeed, but you get the idea. These are all things I felt, but they're also all things that went away. They're not an accurate representation of what my life looks like now. And if they had been broadcast to the world, people would think they were. Which is exactly what happened on shows like 60 Minutes, Oprah, Phil Donahue, and other shows in the early 1980s. Isolated, negative feelings, and extreme cases were blown up and taken as the norm of this condition. Okay, so we have come to 1982. Now what? Bam! Your boy, the FDA, approves a cyclovir, but only as a topical treatment. Kinda helps when you actually have an outbreak, not so helpful in preventing them or making outbreaks less severe. Bam! It's 1985, and your boy, the FDA, approves a cyclovir in pill form. Okay, so now we have some treatment. Now we have some prevention methods. Okay, okay, should be looking up, son. And yeah, let's sell this drug, bruh. Get some ads out. People thought there was no treatment. Now there is. Let's let the people know. Now, up until this point, the medical community barely gave herpes a second thought, as it was not considered to be a serious health condition. There were no public warnings or health advisories. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, didn't care if you had genital herpes or not. They still don't, by the way. It's not a reportable disease. It was just a few journalists trying to get that shmoney, okay? The general public doesn't care about oral cold sores, so the ads would have to create a market for people with genital herpes, as most people just let their cold sores run their course. Which, by the way, is currently how I deal with outbreaks downstairs. To be completely honest, I might be having an outbreak right now, I'm not positive. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) Because it's so mild, and it may just be normal skin irritation, I'm not sure. But either way, I'm letting it run its course because it's barely noticeable, I have shit to do. 
But if they wanted to sell a drug, they don't want you to just let your symptoms run their course. It's a reasonable line of thinking, fair play. Okay, so the private pharmaceutical company that patented acyclovir, which goes by the brand name Zovarax, is called Burroughs Welcome. They released a few ads encouraging people to visit their doctors. The ads definitely cater to people who feel scared and or negative about their diagnosis. They imply that your diagnosis is a bad thing, which isn't wrong, it does suck, and the ads aren't outwardly negative or fear-mongering, but they do raise a few issues with me. Some of the messages on the ads were, When they met last year, she was the only one with herpes. With the help of her doctor, she's still the only one. And, The hardest thing she ever had to do was tell Roger she had herpes, but thanks to her doctor, she could also tell him it's controllable. Okay, now the first thing I notice is why is it only the female with herpes in these ads? Where the fuck do you think she got it from? Anyways, this episode isn't about how the media blames and sex shames women, but I couldn't find an ad from them where the man was the carrier, so... You know what? Actually, fuck it. I am going to take a sidebar here. Just like the article that quoted that man who succumbed to the temptation of a local lady and contracted HSV, these ads are showing women as the cause of the spread of an STD. They're showing women as the perpetrators and men as the victims or potential victims. I already knew that misogyny was ingrained in society's beliefs, but seeing these two things side by side really shows me just how deep and sinister the sex shaming of women really goes. Anything that goes wrong sexually is the woman's fault. It takes two to tango. Women didn't cook HSV up in a cauldron wearing pointy black hats to purposely infect the men in their lives. Listen, if you want to keep having sex with us, you need to stop shaming us for our sexuality. You need to stop shaming us for having sex, for liking sex. HSV is passed between people, regardless of gender. HSV is passed because it's not tested for and the general public doesn't know just how manageable it can be. To all the women out there, keep talking about this and every other issue you're not supposed to. Keep hashtagging me too and time's up, keep talking about sex. I really don't care if people are sick of hearing about it. I'm sick of letting the media and men tell my story and shape what it means to be a woman. And men, when you see it, call it out. We need your voices too. I have a voice and I've spent the last few years of my life unlearning everything I thought I knew about the world. Every message that society had subconsciously ingrained, especially the messaging and the cultural programming about women, is not based in truth or reality. And let me tell you, that fucking sucked to realize. But then I realized I have a voice. You do too. And if anyone is sick of hearing it, you can get noise-canceling headphones and block the world out while we move on without you. I recommend Monster Headphones by Diesel. They work great for me. Okay, (laughs) sidebar over. Back to the ads. Now, if I was a person with herpes, these ads would excite me. Okay, I am a person with herpes, but it's not 1985 and I have way better information than they did back then, you get what I mean. The ads would definitely inspire me to go see my doctor and ask about it. Even if I only had mild symptoms, but I would be especially stoked if I experienced regular outbreaks. It was a time before the internet. I wouldn't have had access to all the information and people and community that I do now, God bless the internet. Seeing this ad would make me think there might be hope. So while I don't think these ads were solely to blame for the stigma, they certainly did benefit from it. They benefited from those articles that were written scaring the bejesus out of people. The articles, that came way before the ads. This is not a chicken or egg scenario here with who is responsible for the stigma. It's pretty clear cut. The stigma was being sensationalized long before acyclovir and its ads came along. 
One thing I really do like about the ads is that they feature couples with one HSV positive partner and one HSV negative partner, implying that having HSV is not a reason to not date someone. And I think that is a powerful message. In the following years, a few articles were written about herpes from big publications like the New York Times article in 1985, which quoted John Graves, the director of the American Social Health Association at the time, which is a national educational and research organization on venereal disease, aka VD, SDIs, SDDs, and it quoted him as saying, I think a lot of the paranoia has died down. And it also quoted a Dr. Ward Cates, who was the director of the Bureau of STDs at the CDC, again, that's the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention, who said, there was an overreaction to herpes. Finally, someone says it. <laughs> In summary, the article basically says herpes exists, we went a bit mental, there's no cure but there is treatment and outbreaks do suck but they're manageable. Oh yeah, and we have fucking AIDS now, which is actually a big deal and people are actually dying. So media attention turned to HIV and AIDS, which even though it's manageable to the point of undetectability and can be rendered non-transmittable now, for a long time it wasn't. It was shrouded in mystery, shrouded in stigma, just like every health condition is at the beginning, and the media had a new shiny crisis to exploit. We're seeing this media hysteria now with the COVID-19 coronavirus. Now, HIV AIDS is obviously a whole other story and not one that I am prepared to tackle right now, but you should look up Jonathan Van Ness's incredible interview on Jimmy Kimmel from October 1st, 2019. It's one of the guys from that show Queer Eye, and he is just an incredible person and an incredible advocate for living with HIV as he does. I learned a lot of new information in that short interview and I cried for sure. Just go YouTube it. It's 12 minutes. It's one of the most important interviews ever aired on late night television. Jonathan Van Ness, Jimmy Kimmel. Go look it up. Okay, so media hysteria has died down. So why the fuck is there still such taboo surrounding herpes? Well, a few things, and I cannot possibly cover every intricacy of this topic, but I will talk about four big things. Number one, a lack of education. This comes in two parts, a lack of education in schools and a lack of education amongst medical professionals. Sex ed is awful, <laughs> and I don't mean it's awkward, I mean it literally doesn't have good information. The poor gym teachers who have to teach it often have no idea what they're doing. If you even get sex ed at all, which many junior high and high schoolers still don't. To me, abstinence-only sex ed is not sex ed at all. The main message of sex ed in a lot of places, definitely the sex ed that I got, is usually Here's how to put a condom on a banana. Get tested. Know your status. Okay, but what if the test comes back positive? I certainly never was told what to do in that situation. The assumption was that if I got tested regularly, I would be fine, because that's what being responsible looked like. Little does anyone know, herpes is not included when you ask to be tested for everything so you have no idea whether or not you carry it. Thus, the whole get tested message is completely useless in this day and age. I pray and I hope that that changes. I had no idea the most common symptom of HSV and every other STD was no symptom. Can we please like make this a slogan? The most common symptom is no symptom, yeah. Get t-shirts, get jackets, let's do it, baby. FYI, chlamydia and gonorrhea, the other two super common STIs, most often don't show symptoms. The most common symptom is no symptom. Another part of sex education should be that it's not the end of the world if you do test positive. Now, in my experience, most adults don't give a shit if you've had any curable STI. 
I've been with people who have had curable STIs in the past, and I have friends who have received treatment. Now, I'm not saying it's a comfortable conversation, but it usually consists of a few oh shits. And damn man, that's crazy. You good though? In fact, I was surprised to know lots of people don't care about HSV either, if you disclose in a healthy way. Check out my disclosure tips and tricks episode for ways to do that. So the second part of this lack of education is the medical community. I have personally spoken with nurses who gave me medically incorrect information. I have been told it's impossible to test without symptoms. This is so wrong. There are blood tests to do this very thing. Ah! I recently had a friend tell me one of their friends was devastated over their new genital herpes case and that his doctor told him it was a rare strain because he showed symptoms on his anus. Ugh, I hate that word. <laughs> but I hate more that someone was told by their doctor, someone they should be able to trust for information, that what they had was rare. The doctor said he'd never seen it before, which is just wild to me. You go on the support groups any given day and you see that many people experience symptoms in, on, and around their back doors. This person had genital HSV1, which is super common, and the doctor told them it was rare because of the location of the symptoms? No, it's the same thing you can get anywhere else below the belt. They also called it a strain and not a type, which is just inaccurate. There are only two types of herpes simplex virus, type 1 and type 2. There are many strains, that's the nature of viruses, but they're all one of two types. Type 1 and type 2, that's it. The doctor also told them that it came from someone's mouth, which may be true, but it may also not be true. Yes, this person may have gotten it from someone who experienced oral cold sores, but they may also have gotten it from that person's genitals if that person carried genital HSV1. Or even from their hands, if they experienced Whitlow, which is just herpes on the hands, which can happen. Once someone has HSV1 on their genitals, they can pass it to someone else's genital area. It didn't necessarily have to come from someone's mouth. This guy was made to feel like a pariah by his doctor. Now he thinks he has to tell people he has some rare disease. When in fact he, oh, he has one of the most common viruses on planet Earth. And that's not even close to the level of misinformation I have heard stories about from other people living with HSV that their doctors have told them. It is real brutal out there. Because it's so common and it's manageable for most people, it's not a serious health threat in most cases. It's not focused on in medical or nursing school. I personally know one nurse who was recently diagnosed and she had no idea the actual facts about herpes. She's a public health nurse. Unless you're studying immune diseases as a specialty, herpes is barely glossed over when training as a medical professional. Okay, number two. So we kind of touched on this, but it's the lack of testing. The CDC doesn't recommend regular testing. Planned Parenthood does not do the blood test. Doctors are hesitant to provide the blood test without symptoms just oh god hsv testing can be a shit show the testing is extremely time specific and false negatives can definitely happen leading people to believe they are not carriers it can be expensive i know people who have paid 160 dollars in canada to get the correct blood test i talk about all the different testing in specifics in my testing episode so i don't want to waste time on that here but if you're in the states and you want to know your status, uh, you can get the HSV blood test online for $49 from anylabtestnow.com. You pay for the lab test online, you get a form, and then you go to the nearest participating lab and get your results in a few days. Bim bam boom, no fighting with doctors, yay! $49, anylabtestnow.com. Do it. And recommend that to anyone who can't get a doctor to do it. And find new doctors. You do not owe doctors loyalty. That's a big message of mine. Change doctors, it's fine. Okay, number three. Shitty jokes in movies and the media. 
which ties into the lack of education and the lack of information out there. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Except herpes, that shit is with you for life. Herpes is like the glitter of STDs. You can never get rid of it. Yep, we get it. It's lifelong. Now that I am an HSV carrier, these jokes don't really offend me, but they do kind of make me sad because it's so common. And it makes me a little annoyed that many people who repeat these jokes are silent carriers who have no idea. It's a frustrating circle, but it is what it is, which ties into number four, silence. No one talks about herpes. Carriers suffer in silence and shame. But I am starting to see that change. And I am starting to see the people in my life, even the ones who don't know, they actually don't really talk that negatively about it. So Ella Dawson has an incredible TED Talk and a fantastic blog that has tons of entries about living with herpes. EllaDawson.com or YouTube her TED Talk. Rich Mancuso wrote a book about his herpes journey, which was an extreme case, called Asking for a Friend. He also has a corresponding blog of that same name, Asking for a Friend. There's a short film called The Second First Time on YouTube that you should definitely look up. It follows a carrier having sex for the first time after diagnosis. There is an incredibly cute cartoon Instagram account called My Boyfriend Has Herpes that illustrates the courtship of a young couple through cartoons. A young woman details the thoughts she went through and everything she thought when the cute boy she went on a date with told her he had herpes and how she came to the decision to date him. It's a real couple, the cartoons are so cute and so relatable, the information is accurate, and I highly recommend showing it to anyone who might be going through the same thing. There is a podcast called Living Brave with Shoshana Raven that covers a bunch of stuff, not just herpes, and I love her attitude towards diagnosis. There's one called Dating with Herpes from Yahira Jones. You know what, I'm gonna make an Instagram highlight of inspiration resources, so you can find all these things that I'm talking about on my IG page, Positively Positive Podcast, at any time. I've also met the most amazing people on Instagram who are doing the same thing as me in their own ways, telling their stories. It's such a better vibe than the support groups, which, as I've said before, can be real depressing. And you're listening to this podcast. These are all things you can share with people who you want to share your diagnosis with. Whether that's no one at all right now, which is perfectly fine, whether that's your sexual partners, whether that's your best friend or your parents, hell, whether that's everyone on your damn Facebook. It's your choice when you choose to talk about herpes, it's your choice who you do and do not tell, and every decision you make in that regard is totally okay. The point is, the more healthy and informed conversations we have about this, the more the stigma erodes. Stigmas cannot compete with education and awareness. The more we talk about something, the more normal it gets. That's just the way society works. Think about any issue that has been clouded in mystery or shame or anything else negative. Once people start talking about it, it slowly becomes a normal part of our everyday lives and less and less of a big deal. Shame cannot survive empathy. And that is just a cold, hard-pressed fact from someone who can outdo us all on the shame scale, Monica Lewinsky. She said that in this incredible TED talk called The Price of Shame, which I highly recommend. If Monica Lewinsky can bounce back and live life on her own terms with pride and dignity, HSV carriers have no excuse. Now, if you have no idea who she is, uh, Monica Lewinsky was essentially the first person ever to be shamed on a global scale with the rise of the internet. TV, print, news, radio, internet, social media, all forms of media in basically every country on earth knew who she was and contributed to destroying this woman's integrity, her merit, her femininity, her dignity, her life. Or so it seemed. Because this woman is good now. She was a young intern who was seduced by her boss, the most powerful man in the world, the leader of the free world at that time, the president of the United States. She is one of the most inspiring women I have ever listened to. 
Again, her TED Talk is called Price of Shame. Okay, I'm done crushing on her for now. Um, I would like to point out that even without revealing your own status, you can educate people. Since diagnosis, I feel like it's come up in conversation way more than it used to, even with people who don't know my status. I get so excited. I get to educate and let them know actual facts. I get to talk about it casually. And when I do that, I'm taking away any fears or bias they have in their heads. And I'm not even telling all of them my status. I'm just having a conversation. And they're like, oh, she doesn't seem to register this as a big deal. I guess I won't either. People match energies. And when you give off a chill energy, it puts people at ease even if the subject matter is weird. So I do want to talk about my personal experiences disclosing my status to potential partners because I kind of went on a disclosure rampage after diagnosis, well, online at least. Where, you ask? Tinder, baby. Uh, Side note before I get into this. My personal opinion is that herpes-specific dating sites like Positive Singles contribute to the stigma by isolating people who have positive statuses and making them think they can only date other people with diagnosis, which is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Their slogans suck, their shame-based language sucks, they profit off people's insecurities, and I think they're trash. So, I made a Tinder account, (laughs) and I matched with a bunch of dudes, hey, Um, (laughs) and I told every single one of them that I had herpes. Now, I didn't blurt it out like, hey, I have herpes, don't hate me. But I did try a bunch of different approaches, all of which were casual and open to questions and encouraged conversation. This is key. I put it in my bio. I didn't put it in my bio. I called it herpes. I called it HSV. I told people right off the bat. I talked to people for a few days and then told them. I asked them about their status and their testing. I didn't ask them those questions. I did everything. It's like I was trying to work out an exact timing and phrasing formula that would be foolproof in all situations. Newsflash, it doesn't exist. (laughs) But there are definitely things that help. And if you haven't already, listen to my disclosure tips and tricks episode. What I realized telling so many people was that when you come at it openly and casually, people didn't judge me. I was fucking shocked, bruh. Now, I have been on and off dating apps for a solid five years or so, and I have never had so many honest and meaningful and respectful conversations. I also experienced this on Hinge when I did the same thing. Those were the two apps I was using, and it was actually a huge part of my healing and realizing I was giving this stigma so much power in my head. In real life, it wasn't a thing. I was still getting out. I was still getting asked out after disclosure. I was still being sought after. People respected me? What? How was it possible that I was getting more respect as an HSV positive person on Tinder than I was before diagnosis? If I had a dollar for every dude that told me how much they respected my honesty and admired my maturity and my candor, your girl would be rolling. I cannot tell you how much better Tinder made me feel about having an STD, which is a sentence I don't think anyone has ever said before. Not only did lots of people still want to meet me, several guys were already planning our sex. Remember, I did say I tried a bunch of approaches, uh, and getting right into the nitty-gritty details of it was one of those approaches that came up with certain guys. Lots of guys told me about their own histories. I got to talking about the link between malaria and cold sore occurrences in South Africa. And, okay, if you're thinking, well, yeah, it's Tinder, no one cares because they're all horny freaks. Well, I'd say you're wrong, and that's a blanket statement. (laughs) But I'd also counter-argue that if even fuckboys were respectful about it, then actual respectful guys stand to be even more mature about it, so odds are looking pretty good. (laughs) And when it was in my bio, yeah, sure, I imagine some people saw that and said hell no, but 
I'll never know if they would have even swiped right on my on me anyways, so who cares? I think only one guy sent me a shocked reaction meme and then never talked to me again. <laughs> but I mean the bottom line is that there are 10 million reasons you could never hear from someone or never date them or things don't work out between the two of you. Now I have herpes, okay, so I have 10 million and one reasons things may not work out. It is what it is, and if it's a deal breaker, it's a deal breaker. And I know what I bring to the table, so that's okay. I'll end up being with the partners who I'm supposed to be with. And probably a few that I shouldn't. <laughs> if I'm uh, lucky, oh god, I have a problem. Um, <laughs> so I think that this has brought me to my final point on the whole stigma schmigma topic. You get to decide how powerful it is. I know for me, once I started talking about it with real people online, and more importantly offline, I realized how much I was blowing it up in my head. I was taking myself out of the game before the puck had even dropped. My knowledge and my education about how the virus works dismantled the fear that had been placed in my head by this looming stigma. Ooh, scowie. Yeah, not really, it turns out. I have episodes on how to deal with the mental aspects of diagnosis. I have episodes to educate. I know just as well as anyone that it is not easy. Not every day is perfect. Yeah, I've, I've accepted this. Sometimes it still gets me down. But like I said, a lot of things sometimes get me down and then I move on. So it's not easy, but it's doable. It does not have to last forever. The herpes stigma was born out of misinformation, sensationalism, a culture that shames sex and sexual topics, and fear-mongering. It exploited temporary feelings, temporary symptoms that come and go, and fed off of negativity. Once I saw that, I realized how dumb the whole thing is. I'm smarter than that. You are too. I've got the facts, I can manage my symptoms, okay. Stigma who? Mmm, you've had 50 years, little baby. It's time for you to go. I don't have time for this. Thanks for listening. Share this link with anyone you think it would help, leave five-star reviews, and follow me on Instagram, at Positively Positive Podcast. Check out the website, PositivelyPositivePodcast.com, for resources, tools, videos, and lots of amazing HSV content. If I've helped you and you'd like to say thanks, visit the support page for options, buy me a coffee, join the Patreon, or get yourself a Positively Positive sticker. If you just want to say hi, email me at PositivelyPositivePodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail on Anchor. I'm out here, okay? I keep my real name private for now, but keep listening because that changes, and it will always be me reading all your messages. You are not alone. I'm living positively positive, and you can too.